Welcome to Words to Mouth, an author interview talk show where readers meet authors beyond the printed page and win free books. I'm your host, Carrie, and I produce this show to introduce you to new and seasoned authors and the books they write. Check out my companion blog website at wordstomouth.com for more author interviews, book reviews, and chances to win free books. My guest today is Mahboud Siraji with his debut novel, Rooftops of Tehran. And I have to just brag on him today because this morning I messed up and I got this poor man out of bed at, what, I don't even know, 7 o'clock in the morning or something. Woke his wife up and probably the whole household. So uh, you're just so, so gracious. You know, you said to me, we can do it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm not pulling you out of bed to do an interview. So... So I appreciate your willingness to do that. No problem. It was actually no, no problem at all. I have to get up anyway, so. I know, but that's <laughs> your not. Your call was good. You gotta have some. You gotta have some coffee or something beforehand, you know. <laughs> well, I want to start off having you give us a brief overview of rooftops of Tehran, if if that's okay with you. Sure, absolutely. Okay. Um, so rooftops uh, is the story of a number of kids who are living in this middle class neighborhood in Tehran, Iran. The narrator is a booky kid. He's, uh, he reads a book all the time, and he's the intellectual type. His name is Pasha, and he lives uh, uh, next to his best friend, Ahmed, who is exactly the opposite of him. He's very street smart, very savvy, very funny. And um, uh, the two of them are just having uh, the, the time of their lives. They're 17 years old. They're talking about girls. Uh, smoking cigarettes, uh, you know, being on the roof, naming stars after their favorite people. But at the same time, Ahmed is in love with this young woman who lives in a neighborhood uh, a, little, a little while uh, away. Uh, but Pasha is in love with the girl next door who happens to be uh, engaged to another friend of theirs, who everyone affectionately calls doctor. He's a little older, but uh, he's also very politically active. And on the hit list of the Savak, which is the Shah's secret police. Mm-hmm. So one night, uh, accidentally, Parsha is on the roof and happens to give away. Doctor is running away from the Savak, and he he gives up the location of uh, where Doctor is hiding by by accident, mm-hmm. and they take Doctor away. And the ramifications of that are grave for these kids. Mm-hmm. That's really the, the, the story. Mm-hmm. Well, before I ask you the standard, you know, what inspired you to write Rooftops, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what ultimately brought you to the U.S. when you were, you were 19. Is that right? Sure, yes. Well, I was 19. I was uh, in Iran, and I went through high school. And just like most kids at that time in middle-class families, uh, a lot of kids came to the States, and my parents decided that I should come to the States. And, you know, just like the uh, the kid in the story, Pasha, study engineering and then go home and, and live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now, I'm gonna, I want to interrupt you for a second because I think I met I saw somewhere a lot of people here think that um, that that people from Iran come here for freedom, but it's more like you just mentioned. Um, is that the normal mindset to have people come here to get the education and then go back? Uh, absolutely. I mean, okay. uh, it, it, at the time, I mean, I had absolutely no intention of migrating 
uh, you know, immigrating to, to, the, mm-hmm. to the U.S. It was primarily for for education reasons, and okay. you know, it's, it's difficult to leave home and and to go start life someplace else. Um, you know, I came here and I absolutely loved the country, and I thought it was it was great. I mean, I was homesick uh, for for Iran, but uh, but but I loved being here. You know, what what life had to offer here was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got an education, and I got my undergraduate degree, and uh, the, the, the Iranian uh, revolution happened, and then unfortunately the American diplomats in Iran were taken hostage, and then the Iran-Iraq war started. So all of those sort of convinced me that maybe it's not the right time to go back. So I continued uh, staying in school, uh, getting a master's degree and then a doctorate degree, and eventually it was offered a job and I just stayed, and, and before I knew it, 34 years had gone by. Uh, and for 17, uh, 17 of those years, I actually had not seen my father. Uh, everybody from my family came here except my father. And I remember eventually in 1993, I think it was, when things got a little bit more relaxed, mm-hmm. I took a trip home, and I saw my father for the first time after wow. 17 years, and uh, he was, I remember him standing, I was at the airport going through the custom, and when you got through the custom, there were the steps, and my father was standing on top of the steps, and I looked at him, and I didn't recognize him until he started waving at me. Aww. He had changed so much, and, and it was very, very, uh, you know, a touching moment. I remember him running down the steps, and I was running up, and we hugged each other and held on to each other for a very long time, both of us crying, and, and 17 years had gone by. It was uh, it was quite an experience. Mm. Yeah. I can't imagine that. Is he, yeah. st- is he still living? Yes, yes. Oh, I okay. actually eventually moved him here to the States, and he lives five minutes away from me now, so he oh. sees me every day, and he's tired of me. <laughs> <laughs> you guys made up for last time, huh? <laughs> exactly. Aww. <laughs> Well, let's go back to um, rooftops, and uh, you know the relationships between Doctor and Pasha very complicated. I, I'm sure you agree, and I, I guess the characters in your book to me were very, you know, even though it's a difference in culture, very relatable and um, familiar. The different dynamics that go on. Um, which character do you most closely identify with? Uh, well, Pasha, obviously, this this was the. You know, in, in, in many ways, people who read the story, who know me, uh, say they even hear me in, in Pasha. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you're absolutely right. I think their relationship is very complex. Uh, you know, they're, they're both smart. They're both intelligent. They both read, and they both love the same woman, mm-hmm. uh, one openly uh, and is already engaged to her, mm-hmm. and one... Uh, secretly, and it feels incredibly guilty about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that thing happens on the roof when he gives his location away. Uh, so you know he's here. He is scarred for the rest of his life because he's not even sure that he didn't do it on purpose. He's right. not sure that that he, he he didn't do it just to be with Zeddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, taking the competition out of the way, basically, mm-hmm. and you know, and he's his friend, mm-hmm. uh, and this is a very principled, moral kid. Um, so, 
yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The relationship is very, very complex. So when you, when you, um, I, I often wonder, you know, if authors notice themselves in the characters, and, and oftentimes I'm sure you're, you show up in, a, in different characters, um, if, if you realize it while you're writing it, or if it's a situation where after you're done and you step away from it and uh, read the book, if you go, oh my gosh, that's, that's me, or, you know what I mean? And sometimes you, do you inadvertently put some of yourself in, in there that you don't realize until afterwards? I, yes. Actually, it, 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 I think uh, it's both of those are true. Sometimes you do it intentionally, and sometimes you say, you know, if I were in that position, uh, since this is not, I mean, this is not an autobiography, obviously, and I've said that many times, because, yeah. uh, even though there are many elements of truth in it. Um, uh, sometimes you put yourself in there intentionally and say, if I was in that position, how would I behave? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you do that with your main characters. Like I see sometimes a lot of myself also in Ahmad, you know, he, mm-hmm. he's, he's very, he's got this strange sense of humor, which mm-hmm. is totally, you know, sometimes some of the things I would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and then Doctor, there's that reading aspect of Doctor and the kind of books that he used to read at that time were exactly the kind of books that I was reading when I was in Iran. And, mm-hmm. and the reason for it is, you know, back then in the 1970s, uh, the Shah had had uh, banned certain types of books on Marxism, any books that came from Russia, you know, books of Maxim Gorky or, or Dostoevsky, uh, Marx, Engels. It, it, and when somebody says, don't read this, and you're <laughs> 17 years old, Guess what happens? Yeah, that's the first thing you want to read. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. So, I, you know, you do put yourself in certain positions and use your experiences in life and your uh, things that have happened to you in the story. To your point, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Mm-hmm. And there are things that people have pointed out in the book um, that I wasn't aware I had done. And, and other people who know me recognize it and said, this is what you're talking about, really. That's and interesting. Just, yeah, and they're right. Is there a specific thing you want to share with us that, about that, or is it something that we would really relate to? No, I mean, it, it, I mean the, for example, the relationship with the parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but one of the things that everybody pointed out was that we don't see the parents together. You know, we don't oh, see. Yeah. Uh, we we don't. There's there's no scene where the the parents are really together. That 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 aspect of of the family life is kept very kept out of the book, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and that is how I am. I mean, my family life will never get exposed, or I'll try not to expose it intentionally okay. uh, in my real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that's totally private to me, and I'm a very private person when it comes to that. Uh, even in my own personal life, I have five sisters, and they never showed up in the book. Uh, you know, oh. so, so those are some 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 aspects of things that I'm talking about. Okay. Well, I I kind of skirted over it, but. Um Let's go back to the original, you know, the, the main question of why, what inspired you to write the book. And, and I'm going to ask you the question, ha- is this, this is your first published book, but have you written a book before this? Have you always been a writer? No. no okay. No, I, I always wanted to write. I read my first story in, uh, when I was 
10 years old, White Fang, Jack London. Ah, uh, okay. And I absolutely, I thought if, if an individual can take, a, understand, I, by the way, I read the book on the same rooftop that's depicted in this story. Mm-hmm. And I thought if somebody can actually take a kid from Tehran, Iran, on a rooftop and take them to the wilderness of Alaska and make him feel like that's home. Yeah. That's an incredible skill, and I always wanted to do that. Mm. When I came to the States, uh, you know, I only knew, I mean, I, I knew English from high school, but I don't know, it's like kids learning Spanish here in high school. Right. My total word count probably wasn't more than three, four hundred, you mm-hmm. know, words in English. Um, so the idea of writing something just totally left my mind. Um, but I had a pretty... Uh, pretty, uh, I guess, tough life as an undergraduate here in the States. Not because of the States, uh, but because of what was happening in Iran at the time. Yeah. Those are the things we already talked about. And I was very uh, unhappy about my life. And one day I was just standing, uh, and I was working 15, 16 hour days and didn't have money. I was at the verge of going homeless and all of those kinds of things. Mm. And I was standing outside of one of the places I worked and uh, thinking about how miserable my life was. And then all of a sudden I thought of Ahmad and Zadi and some of these some of these people who were in the story. And I thought if they heard me think what I'm thinking, they would be really ashamed of me. And it was right then, for the first time, I think it was 1979, that I thought to myself, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to call it Stars in My Life or something like that. And, and this would be the story of people who have had profound impact on my life. And it would be a series of short vignettes. Mm. But my life changed after school. You know, after I got my PhD, I got really good jobs, and I traveled around the world, became a consultant. And I, and I, and I did well in, 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 you know, America, the land of opportunity and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, until 2001, when I lost my job, uh, and I could afford not working for seven months. And I thought, you know what? I want to sit down and write that story. And I started, I created the first chapter, I developed the first chapter, and I couldn't let those kids go. It, the idea of writing a series of short vignettes just mm-hmm. went out the door. Oh, okay. So I'm going to write these kids, about these kids, and what happens to them when doctor is taken away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how the story came about. It came from Top 50 Okay, well tell me um, a little bit about the publishing journey. Was that a difficult, was it difficult to get it published? Um, it, it was in some ways. Uh, I got an agent very quickly. Uh, well, congratulations. <laughs> that's the tough you. part uh, from what I hear from a lot of authors. That is, uh, unfortunately for me, I ended up with an excellent excellent agency, uh, Daniel Egan Miller, uh, Joanna McKinsey in, in Chicago. And I sent uh, about, I think, 30 letters uh, out uh, one day, queries. Uh, five of them responded asking to see the first 50 or 100 pages. I immediately sent those out, and uh, Danielle's agency called uh, and asked for the rest of it within a couple of weeks. And I FedExed it to them because I knew where they were in the story. I didn't want them to, to you know, go to another book. Yeah. Uh, and they read it, and, and within a few weeks, they called back and they said, "Love, they loved the story, and they signed me." 
Now, the publishing part was a little different. Um, we the, the first person who actually looked at the book, loved it, and wanted to buy it. Mm-hmm. And then somehow we did some rewrites and things like that, and, and it didn't it didn't work out. Another person, and, and that almost a year went by because of that. Another person uh, decided to buy it, and then we went to somebody else, and she decided to buy it. And right before we signed the contract, she quit her job and said that she was going to pick it up in the other place that she goes to and went someplace that they didn't even publish the kind of books that, you know, uh, the kind of book that Rooftops is. So we had adventures like that, and because uh-huh. of that, it really took three years okay. to sell it. But we really had three times, almost we sold it almost three times. Mm. And each time something bizarre happened. I think that was just, that's how it was meant to be, I guess. Well, good for you for being persistent. I mean, some people would get get frustrated with that, so. It was quite a frustrating uh, experience. Yeah, a roller coaster. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It really is. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's your work is like your baby. Yeah, you know, you don't you don't want it criticized. You you don't want to change it. You you, you want it to sort of grow uh, organically, almost. You know. Yeah. And, and to have other people poke holes in it and say, "Well, this is not right," or read ten pages of it and turn their head away, it does could get incredibly discouraging. And mm-hmm. you really need to have a thick skin. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is, uh, you need to be sort of flexible about your craft uh, and understand that it takes a lot of people to publish a book and and and, and maybe someday uh, you know each of us can be at a point where we can say no this is it you know you publish this and they go publish it yeah. but in the beginning uh, that's not the way it is it's uh, a lot of people have to come together and agree that this is a publishable work mm-hmm. uh, so that's where you need to be flexible and go with the flow and, and accept criticism, accept changes, meet people halfway or sometimes go all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Well, the final product turned out awesome, and I, I, um, I think you're a gifted storyteller, and I think that uh, I love your use of dialogue in the book. Have you had a mentor with teaching you to write, or did you? is that just something that comes naturally to you? Uh, no, I never had a mentor. I mean, I never uh, really took uh, any writing classes. Mm. Uh, I have read almost all of the classics that are out there. Uh, I, I, even though I was in corporate America, I, I read almost all of the bestsellers, and I, I kept uh, I kept reading. Mm-hmm. And I think that helped. But also, uh, my master's degree was in broadcasting and film, so I did uh, some script writing. And I think the dialogue uh, skills comes from there. I read a lot of books uh, on how to write dialogues. Uh, I, re- I read a lot of books on how to create scenes. And one of the things that, I, that, that my readers uh, constantly tell me is that when you read Rooftops, it's like you're watching it, not reading it. And I think that's the skill that I may have picked up when I was when I was in the film school. Yeah, I agree with that. It's um, I can see it in scenes. It's like a movie in your mind, and that's all. It's that's when you that's when you know a book is good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, that's, um, that's where I learned that in in film school. Okay. I to do that, and it's it's not intentional. It just comes out that way. Okay. 
Well, listeners, uh, I wanted to mention that Maboud has, uh, is offering a free copy of Rooftops of Tehran. So be sure to go to wordstomouth.com and leave a comment under this interview post, or you can call 206-309-7318 and leave a voicemail comment that I can play on air, and then you'll be entered to win. And you need to make sure that you're signed up for my e-newsletter because that's how I announce winners. I wanted to go back. You... I'm trying to remember, you actually called me originally and then I went on bookreporter.com and looked um, on their site and there was, they have an awesome uh, readinggroupguides.com, I think it's called, that I encourage listeners to check out because that's a great uh, compliment to when you read a book to if you want to start discussions. And one of the questions, actually, do you come up with those questions or do they do that for you? Well, actually, uh, the, uh, my editor at uh, Penguin and I did it together. Oh, okay. Uh, I like that because it was it makes you think about you know it just makes you get a little bit introspective um, as well as look at the book too so absolutely yeah. um, but one of the questions is what do you think about the open unguarded nature of the male relationships in this novel especially between Pasha and Ahmed and how would such a close male relationship in the U S be likely to differ and I, I just kind of want to get your answer to that question well you know to be honest when I wrote it. And when it got out there, I was not aware of that. You know, I it it, it didn't. I, I wasn't doing something intentionally there different. Mm-hmm. But I did realize afterwards, and and uh, that that the, the nature of male relationships in countries like Iran is very different than that in the U.S. For example, in, in if you're walking down the streets in Iran, it may, it's very customary to see two men holding hands, and nobody would think anything of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when men greet each other, they kiss each other on the cheeks, and there's there's no nobody thinks anything of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, males sit next to each other, you know, and put their arms around each other or around their shoulders, and and and, and I think that there's a hypersensitivity, I guess, here in the U.S. about that kind of stuff that doesn't doesn't exist in Iran mm-hmm. uh, or, or the Middle East in general. And I think that is probably because uh, the opposite of that is through here, that a man and a woman may be walking down the street holding hands here and nobody would think twice about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas in countries in the Middle East, in certain communities, not everywhere, in certain communities, that you don't see that. Uh, a, a man and a woman would definitely not uh, be physical mm. uh, in public. Mm-hmm. We'd never see a, a man and a woman kissing each other, uh, especially a prolonged kiss, uh, on, on, in the streets. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's what uh, that question really addresses. It is interesting. I went to... Um, I had an opportunity to go to Liberia last year on a mission trip, and it, it was kind of interesting. We kind of joked around with the youth pastor because, you know, the, the men there would hold his hand and they'd go walking, and, and the kids, I was there with a bunch of high schoolers, so they had a real good time with that, making fun of them. But, yeah, it's just a, it's a difference in culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and in some ways, um, you know, I mean, friendships in, in the U.S. are also uh, deep, uh, but they kind of take a different form in, uh, for example, in, in Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you see two uh, male friends go out 
you almost never see them go out Dutch, you know. Somebody always wants to pay, and somebody, you know, there's almost like you have this fight over who should pay. They, right. You want to pay, and your friend wants to pay. <laughs> yeah. Fight. So there's, there's that aspect there as well. Uh, you know, how much you do for your friend, how much, uh, you know, how much you share, um, you know, what stories you can or you cannot share. Um, your your private space almost uh, it, it, it is much smaller in a Persian culture uh, than it is here in the States. Like a friend in the in Iran would never have to call in advance to come to your house. They would just show up. Yeah. You know, and it, it hasn't always been like that. And I don't, I don't know if you've noticed that for yourself since you, you know, you were here in the 70s. I remember as a kid people stopping by all the time and they didn't necessarily call. But it, it's been a shift in our culture as I've gotten older. And I don't think it's such a good thing. I think that people are really disconnected in the way that, you know, if you look at our houses now, there used to be front porches. Um, you know, you lived, you lived and a lot of the time out on the front porch and you saw your neighbor. And now we all just kind of, Come in. We, you know, we open up the garage door and drive in and close it behind us and live in our backyards with our fences. And you know, it's I, I, I think that we've uh, we're missing something nowadays with the way that we've sh- we've shifted our culture that way. Definitely, because we've become more of a closed uh, door society and, and people. I think, mm-hmm. as I said, our private space has gotten much bigger here in the states. Mm-hmm. Than it used to be, and it's definitely much larger than uh, places like the, in the Middle Eastern culture, Indian culture, etc. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go. Let's get back to the book a little bit, and then I wanted to ask you. Well, <laughs> you said something about not being you're you're pretty private about your private life. I often ask my authors to offer a glimpse into your real life and what's important to you outside of writing. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, or if that's kind of sure. okay. No, no. Well, uh, I mean, I have a, a, a son, and obviously he is incredibly important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife, my family uh, are very important to me. Friendship is very important. Um, there's nothing I wouldn't do for for, for certain friends. Um, I, I think in terms of uh, me personally, this really writing a book and publishing it. You know, a lot of a lot of authors say I never thought I would write something that somebody would be interested in publishing. In, in, in my case, it really, especially given the English issue, that it was my second language and, and uh, came here with limited, very limited knowledge of English, this really is a dream come true. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, I'm, I'm living, uh, I, I walked into the uh, Borders and a couple of these independent bookstores and, and Barnes and & Noble, and the Seeing my book on the shelf or, or on the table at New Fiction, it just was a, a, an amazing experience. So this aspect, this creative aspect of my life is incredibly important to me. So would you say your son is your biggest fan? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, he definitely is. I mean, he definitely, I think. Him, uh, my entire family, my wife, uh, they've, they've all been incredibly supportive. That's nice. I saw a picture of him, actually. You have a nice uh, website and blog, so um, readers can get to know you a little bit beyond the book. There's something on there about Annette Benning. I remember. <laughs> you, <had some> experience. <laughs> you missed the opportunity. You didn't go up and talk to her. 
<laughs> no, I did go actually talk to her. I gave her a copy of the book. Oh, you did? I missed <laughs> I, that then. Oh, okay. I, I did. I, I gave her. She, she was on the same flight as I was, and I gave her a copy of the book. Oh, okay. Well, good. Well, good. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. Are you, you know, you you talked about your characters, and you talked about the beginning when, um, you know, you wanted to do the do the short stories or the vignettes, and then and then you got so connected to these characters. How does it feel at the end when it's over? The book is done. I mean, do you do you miss the characters? Do you uh, do you think about writing a sequel to the book? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, to be honest with you, and you, I, I don't want to give the story away, but there were parts of this story that absolutely emotionally absolutely drained me. Mm. Um, I, I remember um, in certain pieces, I would write two, three lines, and then my office, at the time we were living in a different house, my office was on the lower floor. I would come up to the living room area, and my wife would look at me and say, why are your eyes red? And I couldn't emotionally deal with what was happening in the story. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you probably know the the section I'm talking about. Yes. it was an incredibly draining experience, and at the end, uh, I was truly exhausted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I thought about actually continuing the story of this kid coming to the states and all that, mm-hmm. but I couldn't. I could. It, it, it just when I got to that last scene, last last, because there's a, there's some questions that I've left unanswered in mm-hmm. the book. Mm-hmm. And, and they could have been answered in that very last chapter that I intended to write, mm-hmm. but no matter what I did, I couldn't get past the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm getting uh, a lot of friends, a lot of people who have read it, say they want to. This is the kind of book that you read. You don't want it to end, and you want to read more. Uh, and would you be writing the sequel to it? And I probably will definitely someday. It's just that I needed a break from these kids. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, in a good way, you know, in a good way. And I just needed them to be out there independently of me for a while before I get back to them again and mess with their lives. <laughs> yeah, there was a, I think I saw it on Amazon. Someone wrote, this was a story I couldn't wait to finish and hoped it would never end. And I love that. That was such a great, that's just a great way to put it. Yeah, this, uh, a couple of people have uh, have made comments like that. That another person said that they uh, they they found themselves slowing down as they was reading the story because they didn't want it to. <laughs> I have had friends, uh, you know, who, who read advanced reader copies or or the, the, in the manuscript format, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I am not kidding. They've called me at three o'clock in the morning, woke me up, and said, "Why did you do that?" <laughs> <laughs> And again, you probably know which scenes I'm talking about. They're yeah. So you know, and and uh, it's funny. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, well, tell me, let's tell me what you're reading right now. Um, I, I just finished Stephen Kinzer's uh, Overthrow. Okay. And picked up City of Thieves. So I have oh, Okay. Yeah, I haven't started it yet, but I'm 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 going to. Uh, I I was reading Overthrow. Uh, by Stephen Kinzer, who also wrote uh, that best-selling book, All the Shaw's Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's been uh, a bestseller for quite a long time. Uh, I, I love his work. Um, it's very political, and, and it's not novel. Uh, but I needed some of the, the knowledge for something I'm writing right now. 
uh, needed to be more informed, so I started reading reading his books. Okay. Um, well, so moving to City of Thieves. City of Thieves, actually, I did a, a written interview with David Benioff early on, so you could always search that on my site. Yeah. Okay, and so you just mentioned, so you're so you're in the process of writing another another novel, or do you I want know, to talk yeah. about that at all, or you want to keep that under wraps? No, sure. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's a um, I've, I'm almost 250 pages into the second one. Oh, good. Um, so it should be done here soon, I hope. Uh, although I keep changing it, and, and that delays it. Um, and it's it's the story. Uh, it, it, this one is also. I thought I had another story in me about Iran, um, and, and this is a story of uh, a, a bunch of people who are in Iran after the revolution. Okay. And one of them happens to be a uh, somebody who is in the regime and and is in a secret police uh, in the secret police uh, force and uh, tortures people and uh, interrogates people. And then there's this other character who uh, lives close by him. And, and uh, again, I don't want to give the story away, uh, but, but they sort of, there's a common thing between them that brings them together, two people of totally different uh, type of philosophy and way of thinking uh, that, that come together and, and, and uh, sort of fight each other. So okay. That's all I'm going to say for now. That sounds interesting. Is the book um, have have you sold the book or is it still? Uh, well, actually, Penguin has an option on it, so okay, we'll, good. We'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I wanted to ask you to tell listeners how they can get in touch with you. You have what is your website address? It's uh, www.rooftopsofteheran.com or my first name last name dot com mapletsaraji.com. So you, both of them will bring them. To my website. Okay, and that's M A H B O D. Whoops, let me look. There you go. Thank you. Okay, is there anything else that you'd like to leave with the listeners? Is there, you know, one overarching message that you'd like them to grasp from the book, or anything else you'd like to cover before we go? Well, just just one thing. Um, I think in the last uh, thirty years, uh, there has been. Uh, such a negative portrayal of people in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the books that come out um, portray the people in, in that region in such a negative light that we have almost grown um, somewhat insensitive to politically incorrect statements that people make about people from that region. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you a quick example. I, uh, Chris Matthews, I was, I was watching him on uh, one day on uh, Hardball, and he made a comment about how, uh, in order to have security, we need to everywhere we see um, people of Middle Eastern origin, we need to profile them. And I think if he had made that comment about any other race, people, you know, nationality, people of faith, uh, he would have been crucified and fired within seconds. And he was being serious, or do you he think was being he, very serious. not sarcastic? Okay, that's no, that's not interesting. Sarcastic. And I think, and I, and there are other examples. I think it was very, very, and these are not political statements, by the way. No, no. I make a political statement, but it was very interesting to me when, uh, you know, we had the presidential election, and McCain was uh, in in Wisconsin, and this lady stood up and said, you know, I don't trust Barack Obama because 
he's an Arab. Mm-hmm. And McCain immediately grabbed the microphone and said, no, no, man, he's not an Arab, he's a good family man. Oh, wow. And I thought, wow. Yeah. Not an Arab, but a good family man. Yeah, <laughs> that's... Like an Arab can't be a good family man. Yeah, And I yeah. know that he didn't mean it that way. He really right. didn't, didn't mean it that way. But it came out that way. And a lot of these things people say, and I thought to myself, my God, you know, tomorrow he's going to be crucified for this. But they called it his finest hour. Oh, really? I missed that. Yeah, and and even Keith Olbermann called it his finest hour. And and I know that, you know, again, I think I I really enjoy watching Keith Olbermann. I think, uh, you know, it's it's very interesting. And uh, I watch his program all the time. And and that's, again, you know, I don't think they're, I, I just think they have grown insensitive. We have grown insensitive. Not even, yeah, not even being aware of what's coming out of their mouth and not, um, yeah. Exactly. And I know, again, like, Oberman didn't mean it that way because he's, you know, I know that he has a lot of respect for people from that region and, and he's not that kind of a person. He's not a racist or, it's just, it's not, or McCain himself. Uh, I know that's not what he meant. Yeah. Uh, but it just comes out that way, and, and we sort of let it go. Yeah, and it's it's having that gentle, uh, you know, that person beside you to give you that gentle nudge to say, okay, you know what, that didn't really come out, I think, the way that you <laughs> intended, you know, instead of getting real combative. But um, Absolutely, and I think, and I think it's, it's important to realize that, you know, we all share certain universal characteristics. We're all humans. We all cry when it hurts and laugh when it's funny and and, and we're all people Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter where we come from and and recognizing that and how sometimes and understanding the power of our words Mm -hmm. is very important and and again i mean i know mccain or chris matthews and i'm a fan of chris matthews and and keith overman i know they didn't mean it that way right but it's grateful well it's good that you know it's good to bring you know, awareness to it, and uh, hopefully we can, the people that li- that are listening can be more aware. So that's where you start, right? You just talk about it a little bit, and hopefully things change. I mean, exactly. that's how our country, what our country was based on in the first place. So, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, it's been a pleasure, and um, I wish you all the luck with Rooftops of Tehran. And I will definitely put your website and some of those different notes in my in my show notes so that people know how to get in touch with you. And congratulations on the uh, – you had a couple of great things that happened. You were on Carol Fitzgerald's Bets, Bets – what's on. it called? Bets On. Yeah, I talked to her yesterday, I think. And uh, yeah. she's really impressed with your book. And then what happened – you sent me an email yesterday. What was, what, what was the thing that happened for you yesterday? It also – it's been picked as the – and the next notable for the month of June. Yes. Independent Booksellers uh, Association. Yes. So that's a real honor, and I'm very thrilled about it, and, and very thankful to uh, Carol Fitzgerald for picking the book as her bets on um, book for the month of May. Yeah, she's a wonderful lady. She really is. Well, thank you so much, and take good care. Thank you for the interview. I really, really enjoyed it, Terry. Thank you. And really thank you for calling me and, and kind of being persistent. And um, I'm really glad that I got to read the book and, uh, you know, have a chance to talk with you. It's For me, sometimes it's hard because I get so many inquiries. And, you know, I, if I could clone myself, it would be <laughs> a lot easier. But I'm really glad that you called me and that we had a chance to connect and that I, I wish you a lot of luck with this. And it'll be fun to see where your writing career goes. Right. Thank you so much. Guys. You're I really welcome. Appreciate it. And let's stay in touch. I really enjoy reading your stuff up there. So. Okay, okay, thank you. Bye bye. 
So we've said our goodbyes. I'm closing this show out just a little bit differently this time because there's some things I want to share with you. But before I talk about that, please go to wordstomouth.com and you can get some instructions there on how to be entered to win a copy of Rooftops of Tehran. Basically just leaving a comment on the site or you can call 206-309-7318 and leave a comment that I can play on air. And I just encourage you to just give me a little bit of something, something. Um, a lot of times I'll get, you know, just that, that quick comment that says, yes, please enter me. And I appreciate you taking the time to do that. But I'd also like to hear a little bit from you. You know, maybe what in the interview piqued your interest about wanting to enter to win the book. Maybe if you've read the book already, what are your thoughts on the book? Um, just share a little bit with me. Um, I'd love to hear from you. There's some names out there of people that comment on the site on a pretty regular basis. And I just really appreciate that because I feel like I'm getting to know you. I'm always open to suggestions if there are authors out there that are either new authors or just have new releases and you want to hear from them, you'd like me to ask them some questions, pop me an email, pop me a comment on the site because I'm happy to go look for those authors and, and connect them with you. I also want to make sure that you know that I'm on Twitter. My name is Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E. WTM for words to mouth and also on Facebook. I'm pretty active on Goodreads as well if you're interested in that and there are some links on my website where you can connect easily with me. Be sure that you subscribe to the words to mouth e-newsletter because that's how I let people know who wins the book. And be careful because if you are subscribed and you haven't gotten a newsletter Double check in your junk file. I mean, I hate to think that I'm sitting in your junk file, but I think I've had some people that have won the book and I've never heard from them, so I don't have their address. So please be mindful of that. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is HopeForAuthors.com. It's a new project. It's geared towards authors and writers, and I want to direct you there. It's HopeForAuthors.com, H-O-P-E-F-O-R-A-U-T-H-O-R-S.com. And what I'm doing is I'm working with my partner, Tom Royce, and I've been interviewing people in the publishing industry, from agents to successful authors to people in uh, social and digital media, some notable names like MJ Rose and Carol Fitzgerald, who started bookreporter.com, JC Hutchins, some of you will recognize, Lisa Genova, a lot of great information for new authors, either published or looking to get published, people that are trying to promote their books. So I'm going to keep you up to date on when that product comes out, but you can also go to the website hopeforauthors.com and uh, register to get the emails so that you know when the product comes out. One of the people that I talked to with Hope for Authors is Cliff Ravenscraft, and I just wanted to kind of put the word out about him if you haven't heard about him already. He has this wonderful network called gspn.tv, and he has, I don't even know how this man does this, he has a number of podcasts ranging from entertainment podcasts. They started out, he and his wife Stephanie, doing a podcast on Lost, um, the show Lost, and they've done a number of different podcasts. Grey's Anatomy sticks out to me. So if you're interested in, in different TV shows and talking and hearing about um, what's going on with the shows, that's one avenue. He also has a faith-based podcast, or a couple of them, and he also um, just general interest podcasts. But he is a wonderful, wonderful man. So I wanted to just direct you there because I know, obviously, that you know how podcasts work. 
and uh, it just gives you a little bit more content. He has a Membership Plus program there, and I encourage you to go check that out because he has this wonderful sense of community that I think that you would really benefit from being a part of. Um, Another person I wanted to talk to you about is Brian Johnson. He's on the same network that I'm on called PersonalLifeMedia.com. And Brian has this wonderful show called PhilosophersNotes.com. And what it is, it's he takes self-development books, reads them, and then basically offers you, offers us, the cliff notes in a podcast form. So so one of the books he has on his uh, PhilosophersNotes.com is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, Eckhart Tolle, uh, A New Earth. And he takes those books, pulls out the key points, and then delivers it to us in a podcast. So I wanted you to check that out, philosophersnotes.com. Okay, as always, thank you to Natalie Brown with her song, You Gotta Believe, from the Podsafe Music Network. And as always, I appreciate you and take good care. Until next time.